And we may just, who put a snake up here? Look at here, you didn't know you are going to snake handling church this morning, did you? <laughs> just took up the serpent <laughs> that didn't bite me. If you're a visitor, they do stuff like this to me all the time. I don't know why, I try to be nice. Now, that's, I think that's a first. We've had bunnies and Santas and elves and that's a first of snake. So. Yeah. It's one of those remote control things that starts moving. I will jump. You see the holy dance here this way. <laughs> All right. Happy birthday, Maureen. Almost forgot to mention that. Exodus 32, verse number 30. And it came to pass on the morrow that Moses said unto the people, Ye have sinned a great sin. Now, what do you think happened next? He, he, God used Moses to bring him out of Egypt out of all, after all those miracles. God used Moses to lead him across the Red Sea on dry land. God's using Moses to, to take them to the promised land. Moses goes up on the mountain. He gets the law from God written on tables of stone. He comes back down off the mountain and the people have made an idol. They've made a golden calf and they're worshiping a golden calf and they're dancing about a golden calf and they're calling something they made with their hands their God. And Moses is furious. And he, and he smashes that idol to pieces. He, he straws the pieces upon the water, makes the people drink it. He's, he's rounded up the ringleaders and removed them from any position of leadership or influence ever again. Trust me, if you weren't here Thursday night, they're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do this again. And now, now, he confronts the people, you've sinned a great sin. And here, here's his response. And now I will go up unto the Lord. Peradventure I shall make an atonement for your sin. And Moses returned unto the Lord and said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them gods of gold. Yet now if thou wilt forgive their sin, look at that line. You'll find that nowhere else in the Bible. He has no words to say. He still praying, he's still pouring his heart out to God, but there, there's no way to express the sorrow that he feels over the condition of the people. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Therefore now go, lead the people unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee, behold, mine angel should go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Our Father, help us this morning as we make our way through the last of this great chapter. Please help us to behold wondrous things out of thy law. And we'll thank and praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. This is the high water mark in the life of one of the outstanding characters in the Bible. David, Paul, Samuel, Joseph, Moses. There are very few people to whom entire books of the Bible are devoted. Moses is one of them. In a career, a biblical career that spans 80 if not 120 years, full of great adventures and great victories and great defeats, this is the greatest moment in the life of one of God's greatest men. Few people have ever stood as tall as the prophet stands in these verses. After the rebellion of the people, after the gross idolatry of the people, after what God, after what the Holy Spirit, after what Moses have all identified as a great sin, this man will pray with a heart of compassion for these people, and he will actually offer his own soul to God, if that will make an atonement for the sin of those whom he loves. It's an incredible thing. Each of us have been disappointed by those we love and care for, And we've responded in various ways. Each of us have been offended by things that people we trusted and people we taught and and people we kept company with. We've been offended by things which they have done and we've responded in, in a variety of ways. Moses gave up. He gave up the number two place in the greatest empire in the world of his time, he gave that up to associate himself with the Hebrew people. He risked his life to go into Egypt to try and obtain their deliverance. He was criticized by the Hebrews. He was threatened by the Egyptians God wrought mightily on his behalf and he led those people out of bondage. He stands at the Red Sea when they are afraid and calms their fears. He he stands before those waters as, as an army of death pursues them and raising his rod the waters part and he holds it high until the last one is across. He's given them all a man can give. He's done for them all a man can do for them. And the moment his back is turned, they forsake their God, Moses' God, everything God taught them about himself, everything Moses taught them about God, everything they've seen and experienced. They abandon it in a moment and become as debased or worse than the heathen Egyptians who had enslaved them. And Moses looked at those people and said, you've sinned a great sin. And I'm going to go talk to God and see if I can save you one more time. And father and mother, as we've read this chapter, we've seen the just and righteous place for anger. But here is the just and righteous place for compassion. And preacher and teacher, we have seen in this passage the proper response to iniquity, 
and the way that iniquity must be dealt with. But now, the case for dealing with those who have committed the iniquity. You see, the great thing about the love of God is it knows no limit. The great thing about the grace and mercy of God is it it is measureless. And those who draw the closest to God are those who have the longest limit before their love gives out. Those who can go the farthest before their grace and mercy surrenders to the flesh. And here Moses, the man that had done more for these people than anyone but God could ever do for them. Who has been insulted and disappointed and rejected as much as any man could be short of God himself. Moses says to those people, now you wait right here. I'm going to go back up that mountain. And I'm going to talk to God one more time. And I'm going to see if I can get God to bless you. After all that you've done. I don't know about you. I don't handle offenses that well. I don't handle slight or injury or insult that well. This is a man that really knows his God. And yet when he gets to the top of that mountain and what a... What a tremendous thing. He says, peradventure, I shall make an atonement for your sin. He speaks uncertainly. Peradventure, he doesn't know. There's no, there's no prophecy. There's no plan. There's no command from God. There's no word of scripture. He doesn't know if he can save them or not. He doesn't know if he can offer anything to God that will, will cause his wrath to abate. He, He's not going by commandment. He's not going by, by thus saith the Lord. He just says the only chance you people have is for me to go and pray for you and I'm going to give it a shot. Peradventure, I can offer God something. He doesn't know the mind of the Lord regarding the end of these idolaters. They may be spared or they may be destroyed, but he'll pray for them. He'll lay down his own life if, if that'll do the job. And when we encounter these words, they seem odd. He's going up that mountain. He's not invited. He's not bidden. He's not commanded as he was when he went up to get the law. The only thing sending him up that hill is love and compassion and care and concern. And I would say to you this morning, grandfather, grandmother, friend, don't pray because you're commanded to. Don't enter the presence of God because you've got some verse you want to claim. If there's no verse, if there's no command, if there's no invitation, Isn't the soul of that grandchild worth one more trip into the presence of the Lord? Isn't the recovery of that friend who's wandered out into the world, isn't it worth one more time down on your knees calling upon God? I don't know when I pray if God's going to answer or not. I don't know how He's going to answer. I don't know if it's, if it's the dead center bullseye of His will or the, or the fringe periphery of His will. I don't know. But I've got loved ones that are lost and their only hope is God. 
So we pray. We've got a society that's in ruins. We've got a nation that's, that's sliding as fast as it can into destruction. And I don't have a, a command of God or a promise of God to wave in His face and say, I'm going to say these words and you have to do this and you have to do that. But Moses looked at that people and he knew they'd sinned a great sin. And Moses looked at that God and he knew that God's name was merciful. God's name was gracious. That God is love. He said, the only thing I can do is go up there one more time. And maybe, just maybe, I can persuade God to have mercy upon a people who deserve His wrath. Brother, sister, we can't make an atonement. I can't pay for anybody's sins. But I can offer what I can to God on their behalf. I can't pay for my own transgression, much less those of the people I love and care about. But we can go into the presence of God and plead for their souls. I've seen saved people do some things that would shock you or disgust you or bring you to despair, make you want to walk away from it all. And I'm sure some people have seen me do some things. They walked away saying, I never thought he'd do that. I'm sure there are people sitting here this morning that from the moment you found out it was going to be a little boy or a little girl coming to your home, you devoted that child to God and you prayed for that child and you trained that child and you taught that child and you never thought they'd be where they are today. You never thought they'd be doing the things they were doing last night. And our chapter calls for some anger, and our chapter calls for some indignation, and our chapter calls for some serious action to be taken, but our chapter concludes with this. Through it all, Moses never lost his love for those people. And through it all, Moses never lost his gracious care for those people. And after everything they've done, he will climb that mountain one more time, And beseech his God one more time. And ask God to bless great sinners who deserve nothing but death. It's an amazing thing. The Bible says in Romans chapter 9, a New Testament example. The Apostle Paul wrote, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Ghost. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart. For I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Moses said to God, if I could give you my soul, I would do that if you would spare those people I loved. Paul said I would trade my salvation if you would save my brethren. That's some real love. We're not talking about divine love. We're talking about human beings who loved others that much 
If you had a father or a mother or a grandfather or a grandmother or a friend that sacrificed in prayer to bring you to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, what a debt you owe them. If you wandered away from the path of righteousness and your mother didn't drop out of church to join you and your daddy didn't turn his back on Jesus to join you, but instead they reproved and rebuked the sin but never stopped begging God and pleading with God to rescue you. What a great debt of gratitude you owe to that one who sought the face of God and poured out their own soul on your behalf and said, God, please, 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 would you bless them one more time? This morning I would not ask you to compromise righteousness, nor would God. Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. But never, never, never abandon love and compassion and grace and never lock the door to that prayer closet. Moses is going to pray for people who don't deserve to be prayed for. And Moses is going to ask God to be merciful to people who deserve his wrath. That's why the Bible says that I will therefore that prayers and supplications be made for all men. Yes, that one. Yes, her. Yes, that group. And so off Moses goes into that mountain. And yet, I I want to show you something from Psalm 49. Turn with me there. Psalm number 49. You couldn't have a more noble intention in your heart than to seek to make an atonement for your fallen loved ones. And Moses, he says, I'm going up on that mountain and I'm going to see if there's anything I could give to God to make an atonement for the children of Israel. The Apostle Paul said, I'm going to offer God my soul for their souls. How noble that is. Psalm 49, verse number 7 None of them, no, let's read verse 1. Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together, that's everybody. Everybody listen. Verse 7, none of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of their soul is precious, and it ceaseth forever, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. Moses, God God says to Moses, I've never seen a man who loved others like you love others, but you have nothing you can offer me. 
that will ransom their souls. Their souls are so precious, their souls are so valuable, that whatever you offer me, it won't be enough. Thanks for asking. Appreciate the desire. Not good enough. Paul, great preaching. Great sacrifice. Love what you're doing down there to spread the gospel. But you have nothing to offer me that would satisfy my demands and provoke me to save their souls. Their souls are so valuable that whatever you would bring me, Paul, even your soul, it won't do the job. So we pray for our loved ones, but we cannot save them. We pray for our friends, but we cannot redeem them. We pray for those that have gone astray, but our arm is too short. It cannot reach them and bring them back. We pray. Oh, I I hope that we pray. But somebody else is going to have to do this redeeming job. Somebody else is going to have to do this rescuing job. Well, 1,500 years after Moses, (laughs) there's another prophet walking this earth. In fact, he's called a prophet like unto Moses. And when he wasn't giving sight to blind men and opening the ears of deaf men and raising little boys and girls from the dead and cleansing lepers... He was saying things that provoked the people he was hearing to great anger. Things like, you've sinned a great sin. You've sinned a great sin. All these people talk about Jesus never offended anybody and Jesus wouldn't have said anything mean. How did he end up crucified? Nobody was calling for Mr. Rogers to be put on a cross. Nobody wanted Captain Kangaroo crucified. But they wanted Jesus dead. Fed their multitudes. Caused their lame to walk. Caused their dumb to speak. (laughs) But they wanted him dead. Because again and again he said, you've sinned a great sin. You've sinned a great sin. But he didn't start a religion. And he didn't give a long list of do's and don'ts. He said, I tell you what I'll do. I'll walk up that mountain. And I'll meet God up there. And I'll see if maybe there's something I could offer God that would make an atonement for your sins. And this time... This time the man that walked up a mountain, not Sinai, but Calvary. This time the man that walked up that mountain had something to offer God that was precious enough and valuable enough to make a payment for your sins and for mine. This soul, unlike that of Moses, knew no sin. This soul, unlike that of Paul, knew no sin. When the best grandmother in the world prays for her grandson, she herself is a sinner. 
And the most loving grandpa that ever lived prays for his granddaughter. He himself is a sinner. When husband prays for wife and wife for husband and, and son for daughter and uh, uh, son for father and father for son, all have sinned. But here's one. Here's one who knew no sin. And he walked up that mountain and he met with God the Father. And this time it's entirely different because he was bidden to carry that cross up that mountain. And it was prophesied that if he would go to that place of torment, he could be our substitute. He could intercede on our behalf and the the Father would hear his cry and would answer his prayer. Come to Isaiah 53. Moses, he just, out of the goodness of his heart, thought something up on his own and it was, it was tremendously noble. But it wasn't good enough. But here the plan and purpose of God foretold long, long ago, Isaiah, the 53rd chapter. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he, that's the Lord, should grow up before him, that's the Lord. (laughs) God the Father sent God the Son, and God the Son is growing on this earth under the eyes of God the Father. He should grow up before him as a tender planted, as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Every one of us had a time in our life like that. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus endured all that suffering and all that shame. We didn't pay any attention to it. Jesus wore that crown of thorns. Jesus took the blows and the spittings of sinners. Jesus took the nails in his hands and his feet. And we didn't esteem it. What a big deal to us. But he did it anyway. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While as sinners we were indifferent, Christ died for us. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He couldn't do that with Moses. Moses had his own iniquity. He couldn't do that with Paul. Paul had his own sin. But here's one with no sin whatsoever, so he can take yours, he can take mine. And he did, and he did. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 
There's Joseph of Arimathea, a private, a private tomb, hewn out of the rock. This is a man of wealth and of influence and of power. And there's Jesus in that rich man's tomb. But look who else he's being buried with. A thief dying on one side, a thief dying on the other. Two wicked men buried the same day as the Holy Lord Jesus Christ. It's all laid out in the Bible. Verse number 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Moses walks up that mountain and says, God, take my soul and let them live. Blot my name out and put their name in. God said, can't be done, Moses. Can't be done. This, this, is, the greatest, this is the greatest expression of love I've ever seen from a human being, Moses. It's tremendous. Thank you. It's not good enough. Paul the Apostle said, I'd give up my place in glory. If my brethren could have a place there. And God said, thank you, Paul. That's, that's, so, that's tremendous. I'm going to write that down so everyone can see how much one man can love other men. But it's not good enough. And the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, He lays down His life upon that cross at Calvary. He said, Father, how's this? Amen. The Father said, I'll take that. I'll take that. You will not be redeemed. You will not be ransomed through a priest, a rabbi, a preacher, a pope, a religion, or a cult. You will not be saved by the prayers of your kinfolk. You will not be saved by the pleading and the intercession of your friends. God saw one soul that was holy enough and pure enough and clean enough and just enough and righteous enough to make a ransom for you and a ransom for me. And when he saw that soul offered in death, he said of his son, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And that's the ransom no man could make for another man. The son of God made that ransom for you. Now, what will you do with Jesus? Will you trust Him as your Savior? There's no other. Will you receive Him as your Lord? There's no other way to be forgiven. There's no other way to be saved. Come back to Exodus 32. Exodus chapter 32 Say one more word to those in need of salvation and then we'll address those already converted. Verse 32, Yet now, if thou wilt forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee out of thy book which thou hast written. And the Lord said unto Moses, Whosoever hath sinned against me, him will I blot out of my book. Alright, let's, let's say... Let's say something first of all about the God that is so criticized by modern man and the, 
the God who is so condemned by modern man, and most of that condemnation is because those people have been perverted in their thinking by their religion. There is no place in all the Word of God to even suggest that before God created human beings, He made a list of those He would let go to heaven and a list of those He was going to send to hell and everybody was born without a choice because God's the sovereign, almighty dictator of the universe. That's a pagan philosophy that came out of Greece through Alexandria, Egypt and made its way into the Protestant Reformation through a man named John Calvin. It's not in the Bible. It's not biblical. No matter how many times a day somebody gets on WYND and tells you it is, it's not in the Bible. Nor will you find in the Bible what the good old southern gospel singers love to sing about, the nay God wrote your name in heaven. Because that doesn't happen either. Not in Scripture. In the Word of God, every single person born in this world has life given them by God. John chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. Every single person in this world is given grace and faith by God. Romans 1, John 1, 17, and Romans chapter 12 and verse number 3. Your name's in the book of life. You believe there is a God, and then you sin. And when you sin, your sin separates between you and your God. Now, now this is the Bible. Now, this is not religion. It's the Bible. Your sin is separated between you and your God. He's your God, and you know He's God, and you know He's there, and your name's in His book because He made you. Because you sinned, But He loves you because it's a great sin and the wages of sin is death. That's all in Exodus 32. But He loves you. The Son of God climbs that mountain. He dies on that cross. He pays for your sin. He makes a ransom for your soul. And if you trust Him, if you trust Him, Colossians chapter 2 says, God will blot out the handwriting of ordinances that was against you. He will blot out your sins so that when you die, you can have everlasting life. And if you refuse to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you will die in your sins. And instead of blotting out your sins, He will blot your name out of the book of life. Not because you were never there, not because you never had a chance, not because there was no heaven for you, because it was a limited number. That could, No, your name was there. But you didn't take the ransom. And since your sin's not paid for, you've got to go pay for it. And when you stand before the Lord and He goes down through the roll... He has to say, depart from me, I never knew you, because your name's not there. It's blotted out. And to make sure you get that, you want the Holy Spirit put in the Bible one place and one place only? A black line. It's blot- what did Moses It's blotted out. There's nothing there. That's why you need Jesus, not baptism. That's why you need Jesus, not religion. That's why you need Jesus, not good deeds. 
Great sin requires great sacrifice, and you can't make it. Jesus made it. I'm glad He did. My name's there. Don't, don't die without Jesus Christ. Have your name blotted out of that book. Eternal God wants to give you eternal life. But you've got to trust His Son, Jesus Christ. All right, now. Let's talk about those that are saved. Who, as the songwriter says, have wandered far away from God. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. The Bible says in verse 34 of our chapter, Therefore now go, lead the people, unto the place of which I have spoken unto thee. Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. There's not a person here this morning that is saved that we could not call upon if we wanted to shame them and cause endless hours of gossip and untoward conversation. They're not a person we could point to and say, what's the worst thing you ever did since you got saved? <gasps> what's the worst thing you ever did after you trusted Jesus? <gasps> and every one of us would say about every one of us, I can't believe he did that. I can't believe she did that. Because in all of our lives, there is a can't believe that moment. Let's hope it's just one, but could be a whole string of them. You know that one that climbed that mountain to bear your sin? You know what the scripture says? He ever liveth to make intercession for us. See, watch, Moses goes up on that mountain and he, and he says, Lord, is there anything I can do for those people? And God says, no, 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 get on back down there and lead them in the promised land. Jesus dies on the cross, rises from the dead. He ascends to the right hand of the Father and he says, Father, is there anything I can do for these people? And the Father says, sure is, sit right here. And from that day to this, he's been sitting right there. Continually, continually reminding God the Father of what he did on the cross to pay for the sins that we're committing right now. The Father grips the arms of that great white throne and leans forward and the Son says, paid for it. I paid for it. And we do it again. And the father reaches into the, you know, he's got a basket right there of lightning bolts right beside the throne. And he reaches there to, it's not in the Bible, but it, it's a lasting impression in everybody's mind. And he grabs one of those and the son just takes his arms. says, Father, you already hit me with that. I paid for that sin. Now I tell you, that's great news. That's great news. And if the chapter ended right there, you'd just keep on doing sinful things. But it says, 
Behold, mine angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord plagued the people because they made the calf which Aaron made. Okay. So, let's go back. If you're not saved, the only way you're going to get to heaven when you die is to trust Jesus Christ and the ransom that He paid for your soul. Okay, we got that. Now, if you're saved, you're going to heaven because He paid for your sins. And when you sin, He is there to intercede for you and to pray for you so that God doesn't throw you into hell. Praise the Lord. But you know what He said? As much as I love you and as fully as I have forgiven you, what you did with that calf thing is going to cost you. And I am going to send my angel and I am going to lead you into the promised land and you are going to get where I said you would go because I'm a good God. But that thing you did with that idol, it's going to cost you. And so this is what we say to all the new Christians and all the boys and girls and, and it's great to have your sins forgiven. By a merciful God and a gracious God. Don't think that means it's okay to sin. Because the plagues that sin bring into our life, even God Himself will not remove them. Okay? Now look, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not looking at anybody. I'm not thinking about anybody. I'm just, this is just, it's just so easy. It's just, it's so, this, I, I'm not, I'm not picking this example because of anyone I, there's nobody in my mind, it's, it's just so easy. Okay? You're six years old, you're singing the songs in Sunday school. You're nine years old, you're learning the memory verses. You're 13 years old, you're, you're, you're participating in youth activities, you never meet, miss church. You're, you're 17 years old and, and you're, you're singing in the youth choir, you got your Bible in your lap and you're, you're not hearing a word the preacher says because he is on your mind. Mama says no. Daddy says no. Preacher says no. You climb over every barricade set in front of you. And guess what? Now you're 18 and four months pregnant. And for the first time in your life, you realize you are a great sinner. And the first time in your life, you really are afraid of the consequences of sinning against the holy God. And in your fear and in your desperation, you get down on your knees beside your bed and you finally do what you said you did sometime back there when you were a girl that you have no idea when it was or, or how it happened or what happened. But everybody's asked you, are you saved? And you've always said yes. And you don't know when you got saved and you couldn't tell anybody when you got saved, but you're saved and that makes them quit asking. But this time... From a heart of despair, you call on Jesus who you know loves you and cares for. You know what He does? He forgives your sin and He saves your soul. Because that's how gracious He is and that's how merciful He is. Hallelujah. And you look down and you're still pregnant. And five months later, you're still pregnant, and the church has had to deal with it, and the family's had to deal with it, and, well, God, I thought you saved me, and I thought my sins were forgiven. Well, yeah, they are, but there's a plague that comes from making a golden calf. 
And now you've been saved two years and you got a two-year-old and the guy you met at work thought you were great until he found out you had a two-year-old. And I'm not trying to be mean. What I'm, what I'm telling you is, it's great that God forgives all sin. It's still nothing to be toyed with. It's wonderful that God is so gracious and merciful and wash all that stuff away, but you're better off not sinning. Okay? And I, listen, I, I, when I say that, I know I hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. I'm trying to keep the next person from having to go through what the Lord's bringing, helping you through right now. You guys with a criminal record before you got saved, wouldn't it be great if, if, if when you got saved, God went to the courtroom and expunged your record? But He doesn't. And it'd be great if we got a new liver when we got saved. Be great if all that stuff was shot in our arms. That, that all the effects of that went away and we got saved. That stuff doesn't go away. But guess where they're going? The promised land with an angel escort. Some unnecessary plagues along the way that they brought upon themselves, but they're going. They're going. And you know what? I thank the Lord. I have sinned a great sin. And old Cain back here in Genesis, when God, God pinned him down, Cain said, this, this, this punishment's too great. God, you, you're going way overboard this punishment. Do you know what the Christian says in the New Testament? He's not dealt with us according to our iniquities. You see, the person that doesn't know how good God's been to him says, it's not fair that I get punished like this. And the person knows how gracious and good God has been says, it's not fair that God should be this good to me. Been better to me than I deserve. No offense, he's been better to you than you deserve. Now, isn't it wonderful that Moses loved those people enough to go up there and pray for them? And I hope you love the people close to you who've committed great sins. I hope you love them enough to keep praying for them. That's the first lesson. Second lesson is, as great as Moses' love was, as great as Paul's love was, there was only one. Only one that could make a ransom, an atonement for our souls. And that was Jesus Christ. I hope you know Him. I hope you've trusted Him. Third lesson is clear. Have you fallen? Have you committed a terrible sin? Repent of it. Turn from it. Come back. Get right with the Lord. And the fourth lesson, that doesn't make all the consequences go away. Nor does it bar you from the blessings of the future. If you've sinned, if you messed up, if you've done some things you shouldn't have done, we all have. No point in staying there. The quicker you can get out and, and go on with God, better off you be the rest of rest of your days. Verse thirty five, and we'll close our chapter. The Lord plagued the people because What a phrase. They made the calf which Aaron made. Aren't those interesting words? 
They made the calf which Aaron made. The reason I'm in church this morning, and the reason I will, with God's help, be in church tonight, and the reason I'll be here on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and on Thursday and be with some of you on Friday and others of you on Saturday is because if I sin, if I commit a sin, the Lord will justly and rightly say, I made that calf. But if I'm hanging out with people that are encouraging me to make a calf, I'm much more likely to make one. And if the Lord looks at me and sees me doing something right tomorrow, He'll say, well done. But I'm much more inclined to do something right tomorrow if I'm with people who are encouraging me to do something right than if I'm not. Aaron made the calf, but the people he was with made him make the calf. And I'd just encourage you to make sure that you're with people that are going to make you do something you'll be glad you did. Instead of spending your time with people that are going to make you do something, God's going to say, why'd you do that? Aaron made it, but they made Aaron make it. So be careful who your peers are. Be careful who your companions are. Be careful who your influences are. They, they might have greater effect upon you than you than you think. So, all right, let's pray, Father.